is the Manuscript Academy podcast, episode 009, a conversation with Carly Silver. I am Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. And we are so happy to have you, Carly. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So Carly, tell us a little bit about how you got started in publishing. Sure. So I was obsessed with books, like I imagine pretty much all of the people listening are. And I always knew that I wanted to be involved in some capacity. So I went to Barnard College, part of Columbia University in New York. And when I graduated, I went to the Columbia uh, publishing course right across the street from Barnard. And it was a really immersive experience that taught me both what I definitely knew I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do in publishing. So my route had sort of always been, you know, I wanted to be in publishing and I was assumed it was editorial. And then this course really affirmed that editorial was the right place for me. So I've always been a huge genre reader. No, I mean, to be honest, I've, whether it's sci-fi fantasy, romance, mystery, I've always sort of consumed across genres. So I started doing some blogging for Heroes and Heartbreakers in the fall, I think, of 2012. And that eventually led to me, I think, well, I think that was part of one of the reasons that Harlequin uh, looked closely at my resume, among other things. I, I'm very grateful that they did. And I started at Harlequin as an editorial assistant for two executive editors and one senior editor in the January of 2013. So I'm coming up on my fourth anniversary. And I love it. I mean, I to be able to work in genre fiction and be able to be immersed in stories that you love and about love in the case of romance is so much fun. And I, I wouldn't change it. It's being able to, you know, help an author deliver her best story and be able to be a cheerleader like that and just work with the great people that I do is a real privilege. What would you do in an alternative universe with no publishing because you made publishing sound so encompassing in your life? Well, you know, that's actually a good question because when I, well, I knew I wanted to be in publishing of some sort. I was split for a while between academia in general and academic publishing and tra trade publishing. And then I realized that trade was really where my heart was at. But in a world with no publishing at all, I would probably be in academia. I am a giant nerd and I love that. And I'm a huge history buff. So if you follow me on Twitter or at Carly A. Silver, <laughs> if you're interested, um, or on just sort of Google me. A lot of history stuff comes up. I'm right for Atlas Obscura, for this website called History Buff. A lot of, I teach at the Brooklyn Brainery, a lot of different things, and I'm really passionate about ancient history. So I'd have to imagine that in a world without publishing, which I can't even imagine, I probably uh, would have gone the academic route, PhD in classics or or something. It's it's sort of the road less traveled, but I still get to write about some ancient things, which is always fun for me. So your total sweet spot is romance with a historical bent to it. Oh, I mean, I love all subgenres of romance, and I I don't currently edit historicals, but um, that's actually one of the things that drew me into romance. Is when I was a kid, I would pick up historical romances and sort of the for me it's always like the older the better in terms of ancient history so you know i would you know pick up stuff set in ancient rome and i think actually one of the posts that i wrote for heroes and heartbreakers when i was doing some work for them before i started harlequin was like putting the roman romance or something like that about different ancient roman romances or something like that and then another one i did was hot for a scott about highlander romances and that was what 
really drew me in because I've always loved history, but that sort of adding that fantasy element of, you know, two people in a very highly contested environment, whether politically, emotionally, adding that historical aspect in and when, uh, was really intriguing to me when done well. And so I grew up reading like anything and everything with a guy in a kilt on it. And that sort of was parallel to my reading history and nonfiction books and regular historical fiction. So, um, but I've always, I've always really enjoyed reading historicals and it's really exciting that there are so many great historical authors publishing just in general now. And I pick one up whenever I can. What's something you've changed your mind about in your time in the industry? When I started, there was, we're sort of coming off of the giant ebook sales wave. And I think that the consensus was at the time, at least when I started and was starting to learn as much as I could about the industry, that that was where all of the future of publishing was ebooks solely and print was going to be obsolete within a couple of years. And as we've all seen, thankfully things have stabilized. So I didn't have a dog in the fight when I, you know, started. There was, you know, I'm actually a paper reader. I, but that's a whole nother story. But um, I've noticed and have since learned that it's sort of for a lot of publishers now. It's half and half, half e, half uh, hard copy. And I think that's great. I think that you know, there's there's so many different kinds of books that are so many different. You know, whether they're self-published and they're you know available on. Kindle specifically, you can have that immediate access or you want the hard copy that it's so great that there are so many different formats available and that there continue to be different formats available for different kinds of readers looking for different things. Yeah, I remember that moment when everyone was in an absolute panic about it. And it seemed like it was about the same time that bad things were happening to the economy. And we were hearing stories about people coming into work and getting off the elevator and HR would have set up a table and they were just handing out pink slips. And Oh, no. Oh, it was so bad. It really, really felt like the sky was falling for a while. And I just remember some <laughs> Um, someone from some radio station, it might have even been NPR, was walking around with a microphone at this book event um, at the Powerhouse Arena in Brooklyn, and they put the microphone at me, and um, and they were saying something like, do you think it's the, the end of, you know, books or whatever, something very dramatic, you know, do you think this is the end for publishers? Is Amazon taking over? And I said, it might be the end of publishing as we know it, but it's not going to be the end of publishing. One thing that is an industry, we continue to evolve and roll with the punches. And, you know, it was that was a particularly interesting time because I, so I started at Harlequin in January of 2013. So it was, we were just coming off of a huge Fifty Shades oh, success yeah. and the, the phenomenon that that was. And it was very interesting to see both what that created in terms of similar content and in terms of where, you know, there really is no better time to get started in industry when something has just started a craze. You know, I had been following trends before that, but it was a great learning experience just in terms of seeing what worked for other publishers, what worked, what didn't work, and looking at that as a model to try and examine. So it was particularly interesting. And I remember um, being in the publishing course sort of as that book had been taking over that summer. And it was it's interesting that I decided to go into romance after that because it was sort of, you know, it sort of became like a almost like a publishing well, was a publishing-wide phenomenon, but um, again, that just speaks to the power, among many things, it speaks to the power of the genre and the universality of uh, romance is a fun thing to read. 
Sometimes I think there has to be one major runaway bestseller to prove, and I'm making air quotes, that there's a market for something, and then suddenly everyone finds money to buy more. (laughs) Definitely. I think, you know, I think that, you know, those runaway bestsellers can often help not only spark similar books, but can also, you know, bring in additional revenue to help fund different projects. And, you know, I think that even if, well, I would love to be the one editing every single one of those bestsellers. I also, you know, I'm happy, really excited when my colleague gets a book that's on the Times list or gets a topic in RT because ultimately we're all in this together and you know, it's exciting. It's really, it's exciting for someone that I know or like or work with or hopefully all of the above that they've got that success. And then, you know, chances are if there's a trend that's working, we'll try and see if there's someone writing that particular thing. But ultimately, I, I've always just want to help the author deliver the best book that she can. Everyone will try and jump on trends. Ultimately, I want my authors to be able to write what they want to write. And, you know, I'm there to just help guide them or provide support or help them deliver the best version of, of the story that they want to tell. So well, I definitely, you know, will go after something that I think is selling as I think everybody will. Um, my first commitment is always to the authors that I signed and I'm working with and helping them bring to life the stories they are envisioning. Tell us about an aha moment. Sometimes it's just learning what approach works best with a certain author, you know, so, cause every, every author is different and every author you have a different, as an editor, you have a different relationship with every author. And, you know, sometimes, especially if someone you just started working with, you know, they may have specific concerns or they may have specific issues that, you know, that you need to address differently the way you address a similar issue with another author. And it's sometimes, you know, again, it's just about hitting that uh, editor author sweet spot. And I think that kind of relationship takes you know time to iron out and sort of the time for that trust to build and, Um, especially on their part towards the editor. And I think that I'm always trying to be as helpful as I can. And I always try and uh, let the author know that, that I'm, again, I'm there to, to help them. But I think, you know, when I really, when I'm, you know, a couple books in with an author and our relationship really starts to jive and they sort of, you know, like I have an author who put a corgi in a book because she knows how much I love corgis. And obviously that's a very specific example, but, um, you know, when you really start to get each other on a personal level and you and you're you really, you know, I get to know her editorial inside and out. She sort of knows what things I'm looking for and, you know, what beats we might be looking for a particular story to hit. It can really begin to have those, you know, candid conversations and, you know, she can ask me how I can help and I can offer the best advice that I can. That's, that's really where I've had a lot of good aha moments and so many great learning experiences. You know, like, like I said, every author is different and I ultimately want to respect that author's writing process and her editing process because the way everyone responds to edits is very different. So I'm always trying to adjust the way I edit and the way I send a revision letter, for example, based on what works for that author. Didn't you say that you go to a corgi meetup? <laughs> so it's actually a funny story. So I'm a big corgi person. And before I moved to the neighborhood I live in now, I was always loved corgis. I love dogs that are short, round, and low to the ground. I love a lot of dogs, but growing up, I didn't have a dog. So I've always sort of like wanted to be around them, want to play with them, whatever. So like there was a corgi meetup in Brooklyn. And actually, it's, unfortunately, it doesn't happen anymore. But um, 
I reached out to the organizer and I said, you know, I don't have a corgi, but I love them. You know, would I be able to come and play with them? Is that weird? Because I don't want to be like an adult at a playground without a kid. That, but um, they said sure. And for a while, I just you know went to the meetups and became friendly with the owners, and um, it was really really fun. And actually, one of the reasons I started going to the neighborhood where I live now is because that's where the corgi meetups were. Oh, that's nice. And I started walking around, and I was like, hey, I really like this place. And then I started going to a cafe nearby that I really liked. And that's how I fell in love with where I live now. And I've actually, you know, through just corgis in general, just made, you know, met a lot of people, really nice people over the years, a lot of dog people. And I'm an animal person at heart. So I may have never had a dog, but you know, there's a lot of kindred, there's a kindred spirit there if you love something fuzzy. But corgis are just, they're so much fun. They're so ridiculous. And I've sort of like become the resident corgi enthusiast at Harlequin. We actually used to have a nonfiction division at Harlequin. And at the time, uh, non-nonfiction editors could pitch to, you know, see if they'd be interested in a particular project. Or we had ideas and we could run them, see if they'd be interested in investigating. So there were two corgis that I followed on social media named Cornelius and Stumphrey. And um, I thought, that, I mean, they were just the cutest thing and their owner had really funny captions and just would dress them up and it was super engaging. And I ran, you know, I pitched that to them. I said, you know, these dogs are really funny. They're, everyone loves corgis. They're all over BuzzFeed and every social media channel. I think this could be something interesting. And they ended up, the nonfiction team ended up buying the book. Oh, yay. The corgis out to BEA. I think it must have been spring of 2014. Oh my goodness! And it was super cool. Again, it was all their project. I didn't write the book. I had just run the idea by them, but it was so cool. And it was like I've got like stumpy friends now. I mean, not literally, but it's just like it was really fun. And to be able to, and they actually came to the, our old offices, and I basically got like trampled by stumps in what I call a stumpy, <laughs> and it was glorious. I, I mean, the owners are lovely and the dogs were just like, they look like, like, um, you know, when you get like a, um, those like Pillsbury dough, like the, like the dough that's already been mixed together, like the, like the long loaf. Oh, the tube. Yeah. Sort of thing. You can the tube. That's exactly what they look like. A relatively same shape. Oh. Um, <laughs> they're just ridiculous creatures and it was really fun to have them there. That's so cute. It's so, it's so interesting that these, these podcasts, you never know, like, Oh, I'm I'm thinking of you know submitting to Carly. What's your sweet spot? I got it. <laughs> yes, I am a sucker for a book with an animal in it. And oh my gosh! It's you know, and I definitely have a lot of authors that don't necessarily write animals, but that's definitely one way to to catch my eye if you're looking to submit to me is a cute animal, um, especially a dog. Um, I have an author that I love uh, named Katie Meyer who writes for Harlequin Special Edition, and she's uh was an entrant in our So You Think You Can Write contest a few years ago. And when I read her entry, there was it was just this gorgeous small town romance and a lot of the hero and heroine bond over a rescue dog, actually a rescue border collie. Aww. And it was so sweet. And she now we're, I think, six books in. I've wow. worked six books together. And the first book was called The Puppy Proposal. And it was just <laughs> like the loveliest story. And so not all of her books have dogs. Some do don't but it was a great that was something that particular that caught my eye and um you know it was just a really lovely oh, I love that story that's so listening. cute and, and good read I recommend it the puppy proposal by Katie Meyer it's also a super cute cover it's a proposal but like this little dog there and it just kills me every time I see it oh 
So leading from that, tell us the story of the first time you saw one of your books for sale. Oh, wow. Um, I don't remember the first time I saw one of my books for sale. The first time I saw one in a big public library, I was really, really excited. I think, um, so I saw a book that I edited in the main big, big branch of the Brooklyn Public Library. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, they have a romance collection, but it's not extensive. So, um, and there are a lot of Harlequin series books. So I was sort of just flipping through because I wanted, I actually just wanted to see if there was anything that I had edited there. And I saw, um, I think the first book was called One of a Kind by Michelle Moncou, who's a wonderful author. And I saw that book and I just, I think I was there with a friend and I just started like jumping up and down Aww. and it was like, I felt like I had won the lottery. It was, and I think the librarian may have had to shush me, <laughs> uh, but I was just, and I of course, you know, took a picture and sent it to the author and Aww. I was just, you know, to be able to see that something you've edited is in like your local library, which is super cool. And it, it just, I, I, I was giddy. And, you know, that sort of just bounced around for a while. But um, it's it's still, I, I never get tired of it, whether it's being mentioned in a dedication, which is always super awesome, or just seeing the book that I've, you know, helped bring to fruition on a shelf. It's it's great because you know that you've helped someone bring their creation to life. It's like you're, it's like you're a book of midwife, sort of, you know, you're helping them bring that story into the world. And, you know, there's there's nothing better than, than then helping someone bring their their vision into existence. That's lovely. I, I love the idea of a book midwife, and and you know and like the whole after giving birth, you know, in the car outside, which was like this treacherous birth story. I feel like my writing is the same thing. Look, a book is like a slow labor, you know. And I think that you know again, it's it's all about for me. It's all about the author and putting the author at the center of everything I do. And I think that's something at Harlequin in particular, we really pride ourselves on. And I know that I'm so fortunate to work with so many great authors, but I really, you know, it, it, it's their name on the book and it's their baby. And I'm just as excited for them when a book hits shelves and I, um, that I am for myself for having helped them with it. Still do go to Barnes and Noble just like every month to uh, not only buy books for myself, but to see books on the shelf because it's, you get to you get to see them in the wild. It's it's so exciting. <laughs> it's like and now and then like I'll stop in the romance section or someone's just browsing and be like, I, I edited that. And they'll be like, Okay. But you know, you just you want to share that joy with someone. And it well, it might be a little weird to point out to a stranger that um you edited a book that they weren't necessarily even standing near. Uh it's just a really exciting feeling. Yeah. It is exciting. And it's also sort of proof that it's real. Like, it's so nice to be able to pick up something physical after you've done all this abstract work on it. Not only that, but it's, we, you know, you're edit a book so far in advance of when it's being published that, you know, like, for example, like in the middle of summer, chances are I'm working on Christmas stories for any given year, even spring. So it's, you know, it's a great reminder of all the hard work in and why you loved that project to begin with. And then you fall in love with the story all over again. And then chances are I'll try and convince someone to, you know, like be like, Hey, I love this book. Here's why. If you know, probably would be on Twitter and be like, Hey, this book's out. I love it. And it just reminds me of what made that story particularly special to me in the first place. And I'm always on Twitter talking about how much I love my author's books and exciting books that I see out. And you know, there are, um, 
yeah, I, it's funny because I actually just was rereading one of my – an author that I worked with, one of her – my favorite books that she wrote for us. Her name was Sharon C. Cooper, and she wrote this fantastic uh, romance called Sin City Temptation that came out in 2015. And I was just rereading it the other day just as like a fan because it was just so great. Aww. And, and I just sent her a note saying, hey, I love this book. I know it came out almost two years ago, but I still can't get enough of the story. And it was just so smart and sexy. And the heroine was so kick-ass and awesome. And it's just, again, reminds me of why I love what I do. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I bet she really, really appreciated that, too. Well, I mean, I really loved working with her. She's a super talented author. And um, it was just, like, so... It's one of those things that I saw, like, could be made into a movie. Like, it's a... It's um, it's a romance but a contemporary romance but there are definite suspense elements to it the heroine is a really amazing bodyguard and the hero is like gorgeous sexy wealthy poker player and he's got someone after him and she's guarding him and of oh. course she ends up you know maybe guarding more than just him also guarding <laughs> part. and of course you know pardon the sort of silly puns but you know i, I like the puns but oh i got it but uh, it was just, it was really smart, really sexy. It was actually, and it was really suspenseful too. She did such a beautiful job with that story as she does with every story. But I remember that one because it was just like, it just, it, it makes me giddy, you know? And I, it sort of like just is, I fangirl over the authors that I work with, which is awesome to be able to do. And it's funny because I actually, there's times even like now when I'll fangirl over, like I have to not do it in a professional context you know like it's one thing if i'm you know talking about how much i enjoyed a particular book but i was at rwa last year and i was next to nora roberts in an elevator whoa and i was sort of just like looking around and look like because i'm like does anyone else she she's right there (laughs) (laughs) she's nora roberts she's right there and it was like i I didn't you know say anything because it wouldn't have been appropriate or anything but it was feeling i was like i there's a living romance legend right there and i you know um but I have to, no, it's just, you know, like I, it wasn't the time or place to tell her how much I've enjoyed her books over the years, but it's just, it's so cool. You know, there are so many great authors that when you meet them in person, you just like, like I'm professional, I'm professional, but as a, someone who also just reads and loves the genre and it, it's sort of hard to maintain a straight face sometimes. And that goes for other books that I've, you know, read as well in other genres. If I get a chance to meet an author that I really love, um, I have to, you know, keep my cool just because you know, I try and maintain a cool demeanor, even if I'm like freaking out on the inside. And that makes sense. I love all these book recs. Julie, you should put them in the library when we're Julie's I... building an online library. Oh, that's awesome. I love, I mean, I'd be happy to send you na- the names Please that I mentioned do. because do. Um, I'm obviously, you know, a big fan of the authors that I work with and I, I love their books. So I'd be happy to, to recommend any names that I can. Speaking of building things, if you had Google-level funding and were encouraged to spend 20% of your time building something, what would you make? I would really love to spend as much time as um, as I could really looking to expand my author list in terms of diversity, in terms of authors of different, different genders, sexual orientations, to really speak to the we need diverse books movement and bring it into my list specifically more. You know, there are so many wonderful authors out there and there aren't always enough opportunities, in particular in series romance, uh, in general, across the industry, for um, authors of color, writing characters of color. And I would love to do whatever I could to help remedy that 
you know, that issue. And that's something that I know the industry wide we're addressing. And, and that's great. But there's always more that, that can be done and should be done. And that's one of the great things about things like Twitter is that I always use things like, I mean, like, yes, I can tweet pictures of corgis and stuff like that. But I use like to use it as a tool to listen and learn. Because, you know, there are certain things that, you know, an experience I can't necessarily speak to myself or something that needs out there that if I weren't aware that they were out there, I could, you know, by following certain people and reading what they have to say, you learn more about what's going on in the world, what's going on in publishing and what issues need to be addressed. And there are, like I mentioned, you know, so many fantastic authors out there that are, in addition to writing great books, are really bringing up important issues that are industry-wide and worldwide. And I think that that's one of the reasons I really appreciate social media because it's not just about me sharing information. It's about me learning and me listening and taking that in and trying to figure out how I can use what platform I do have to help the industry change in a positive way. Again, I'm one editor, I'm one person, but you know, these are very real issues. And I, you know, I, I would love to devote as much energy and time as I could to help rectify those serious issues. Oh, that's a great answer. Great answer. What do you wish uh, um, writers knew about things from your side of the desk? I wish I knew that sometimes we've got a lot of projects at once. And sometimes as much as I want to get to a particular manuscript right away, I don't, you know, in terms of if something's contracted that they've submitted first, for example, that's chances are I'm going to read that first versus a new idea that's not even contracted that they have at, you know, or if it's a new manuscript or something like that, or, you know, in general, if I do really enjoy reading through submissions, especially, you know, whether solicited or unsolicited, but ultimately my first responsibility is to my, to my authors. So I do have to balance my time that way. And it can be really difficult to be able to, you know, respond to a lot of the submissions that I get and, um, and still work on my own manuscripts. And it's something that I think everybody finds their own balance for. But, um, you know, again, I, I, I've, it's very difficult and then I wish I could, you know, sort of get to every submission faster, but ultimately, you know, if a book is contracted and it's, or, you know, and, or it's from an author that I'm already working with, I've got to probably handle that project first, just also, especially if it's scheduled and, you know, there are due dates in place. It doesn't mean that I don't want to get to a submission because I you know, I really enjoy reading through submissions, both solicited and unsolicited. But, you know, sometimes it's just um, a time game of, of when I'll be able to get to it. And I think a lot of authors know that. But and, you know, again, I'm not looking at it uh, as someone who's not an author. I can't even imagine how difficult it must be to have something out in submission and be waiting and waiting. So it's not that they don't understand it from my perspective. But I think I also try and look at it from their perspective of, wow, I've got my, my book, my baby out in the world and I'm waiting for this person to, to, to weigh in on it. That's got to be a lot. So I do try and get stuff as soon as I can, but uh, it is all a lot to juggle. So um, I, I do try and balance it as best I can. And, you know, everything is a work in progress. Yeah, I think a lot of people know abstractly that we're busy, but they don't know the degree of it. And Definitely. I, I wish I mean, there I, was a way to show them so they really, really know that the weight isn't personal. Very much so. And again, because a book is so personal to someone, I can I can completely understand why that some might think that it is. I mean, everyone wants to hear back sooner rather than later. And again, not being on that end of thing, it's something that I I can't personally speak to. But 
I think it's funny because actually I have like a really long to do list of, you know, well, this book is scheduled for this time. And, you know, I'm working, you know, I'm working on like I have this this month. I have three edit, three line edits due in. And that's maybe these books are each 75,000 words. And I've got to I know that these are due in a certain point and that I have to balance this, this and this other books that are in other stages, whether it's copy, whether it's on the art process, whether talking about contracts, and then I have these, you know, in addition to those edits, I have, you know, however many other things that are in any given different stage of anything. So it's a lot. And I think whether editor, agent, author, you have to wear like a dozen different hats. You know, if I'm not editing something, I mean, like I'm literally not, you know, in the midst of editing. I mean, I, there are, you know, yesterday, our my wonderful, uh, the wonderful IT team spent like all this time trying to reconfigure a file for me, and you know, like I was <laughs> spent a lot of time trying to get this one file to open, and they eventually got it open. You know, sometimes technical issues uh, rear their heads, or, or or things like that that sort of you know could take up a lot of time. But you know, I'm always uh, juggling a lot of stuff at once, so it can be uh, it, you just sort of have to look at your deadlines and that's why I keep a sheet of when every deadline is for a specific book because you know you have to prioritize and it's not it's it's ultimately about the production schedule in that instance and that's all without the meetings that you have to have and uh yes and that's all without the meetings without you know a phone call without just stuff that also just happens in the course of a normal work day and um yeah it's you know I think that there's no one in publishing that's going to tell you it's an industry that you're sort of sitting alone editing all the time. And it's funny because when I think that's sort of the image that one might have of an editor of sort of like sitting in our, I mean, well, I'm in a cubicle, but sitting, just sitting editing and literally just going through a manuscript. And that's part of what I do, but just as an author these days is often, you know, a marketer, an advertiser, um, you know, networker they wear so many different hats we also wear many different hats and that could be dealing with a manuscript at any given stage whether it's contract proposal art copy an actual edit or you know rounds of edits vision letter there's so many different facets of being an editor and you know there everyone has you know their favorite parts but the great thing is that you know you get to help shepherd a book into the end of the world into the world at the end of it all. And it sort of weirdly continuing that birth metaphor is that, uh, you know, everything goes through a a different, um, everything might be at a different stage, but as long as you're able to keep track of where everything is, which I do just by writing everything down, you are able to find a decent balance. Why don't we just end on what your best advice is to authors? Do as much homework as you can. And I think that that is very all-encompassing, but in the case of Harlequin and serious romance in particular, the best thing you can do is r- read as many books as you can from different lines and know exactly where your book will fit in in terms of word count, in terms of themes, in terms of hooks, so that when you pitch to us, whether in person, whether you submit by an agent, whether you submit in you know an unsolicited query, that you already know where you want to be and by positioning your book in that way you'll not only be able to get it to the right in the hands of the right editor but you'll already have done part of the you know part of the editing work because a lot of times i'll get stuff that's not only not 
right for a series program. It's not the right theme. It's not because our, our word counts are rather specific for series. And, you know, like our romantic suspense line, there's it's romantic suspense and there are certain, you know, tropes that sell really well for us. And by doing that research, you can really help make sure that you're story gets in the hands of the right person faster and then you'll probably get a response faster and ultimately you know if your story isn't right for serious romance that'll probably be easier for you too rather than having to submit to someone that might not be looking for the kind of book that um that that you're writing ultimately it's about you trying to find your book the the home that's most right for it i think that by really doing your research on the series program in particular you can find uh the best series home for it. I recommend checking out harlequin.submittable.com. There we, ha- not only can you submit to all of our series lines there, but you can see what our themes are, what our word counts are for those specific lines, what, you know, some of the books are that you can check out for those lines. And you can really get a sense of what we're looking to acquire there. So you can also not only submit there, but get a sense of what any given series program is and if your book might be able to find a good home there. And Carly, why don't you tell people um, ways that they can find you online? Sure. So I think the best way to find me is I'm at Carly, C-A-R-L-Y, A, Silver on Twitter. And chances are you can find me talking about horses, corgis, romance, or any combination of the three. Thank you so much, Carly. Really appreciate it. And if you like what you heard at the Manuscript Academy podcast, you can just reach up and hit that subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. And if you really want to thrill us, let us know what you think by giving us a review. You can also check us out at manuscriptacademy.com slash welcome.